welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as the North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. Labors in the Harvest podcast. I want to thank you for joining me for this month's edition of Labors in the Harvest. It's always a joy to have uh, guests with me that I can discuss their life and their journey in ministry. And we're grateful to have you as a listener who will kind of be an unseen guest to our podcast. So thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedule to listen to uh, the conversation I'm about to have. My guest this uh, month is Brother Robert Mickey. Brother Robert is a missionary sent out of the Cleveland Baptist Church to the country of Kenya. He's been there for uh, quite a long time. Grew up as a young man uh, in the ministry of the Cleveland Baptist Church, and I've known him most of his life. And God began to work early in his life in his call to uh, missions. We'll discuss that today in our podcast. Uh, we're looking forward to a, a good conversation. Robert and his wife, Wendy, and uh, their children served the Lord, have served the Lord faithfully in Kenya, and I think you'll be fascinated with the discussion about his life and his journey in ministry. And so, again, with that thought in mind, I want to welcome my guest, uh, Brother Robert Mickey, to Labors in the Harvest podcast. Well, I'm glad to welcome to uh, Labors in the Harvest podcast uh, my friend and uh, fellow colleague in ministry, Brother Robert Mickey. Robert, thanks for joining me for Labors in the Harvest podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Look forward to this conversation. All right. Well, as I kind of did a little introduction before you joined me, I shared with our listeners that you and your wife are uh, missionaries to Kenya, East Africa. And uh, as you and I just discussed a moment ago, you, you've you been there almost 25 years. It'll be 25 years this coming January. So uh, it's quite a, quite a journey uh, of ministry, and we want to talk about that. So Let's uh, let's kind of go back to some of the earlier days of uh, your life, and and uh, let's just talk a little bit about that. So, would you share with our listeners uh, where you're born, where you're raised, and and uh, mm-hmm. kind of home you were raised in? Okay, sure. Um, I was actually born in uh, Connorsville, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and my parents moved to Cleveland, Ohio, when I was just a few months old, mm-hmm. and uh, so Cleveland's been home and. Uh, I was raised there and raised in Cleveland Baptist Church. I think we started attending Cleveland Baptist Church in 1970. Mm-hmm. And so I was almost five years old. And uh, so that's been my church since then. All right. Well, as I, uh, as I re- uh, recall, and of course, been there all of most all of my life. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older, but uh, remember when your family came. So I've known you for most of your life and I appreciate uh, your faithfulness. So uh, your dad, um, just so that our folks are, are aware of that, your dad uh, at a point 
Um, uh, is your dad completely deaf or is he partially hearing? Uh, he's very hard of hearing. He could not hear like any high pitch sounds, high voices, uh, that type of thing. Okay. And, uh, and so at a point, uh, Robert's dad, uh, brother Robert Mickey Sr., uh, came on the staff of the Cleveland Baptist Church as working with our, our deaf ministry. So Robert kind of grew up in a ministry home. So let's talk a little bit about that. Talk about a little bit about your parents and the home in which you were raised. Uh, yeah, like you said, my parents uh, worked with the deaf. And uh, the one thing that I just remember growing up about my parents was that um, it, it just wasn't uh, a, a, something that they were doing in the church. I mean, they immersed themselves in it completely. I mean, the ministry, uh, working with the deaf became their life. Um, their, their friends were the deaf. I mean, they, they did things with the deaf. They had deaf in their home. They had deaf living with them. And uh, I, I just saw from my parents uh, uh, somebody who, who loved people that other people didn't really have time for. Mm -hmm. And that certainly made a large impact on my life growing up. Mm -hmm. the, the deaf culture is, uh, I, I would say, I just, again, just correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's a little bit of a different culture because people uh, not having the ability to hear, um, the other senses are perhaps a little bit heightened, but because people struggle to communicate with them, it creates a little bit of a hardship for them. Is, would that be a correct assessment? Well, yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, imagine, you know, losing losing your hearing and not being able to hear what people are saying. Uh, yeah, you kind of would gravitate more towards the deaf and they kind of have their own culture. And, sure. Know, uh, that they live by. Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, to even expand upon that, uh, to be born deaf, never being able to hear would be even, you know, uh, you know, things that we so take for granted are things that, of course, they've never been able to music yeah. <laughs> uh, and, right. and all those type of things. But uh, again, uh, grateful for uh, the, the deaf folks that have been part of Cleveland Baptist Church and, uh, you know, through the years. And of course, the, your dad's ministry there was, was a great blessing. So you're raised in this ministry home. And um, at a young age, I, I believe, as I recall, as we've had a discussion in the past, God started working your heart in regards to missions. Can you kind of explain how that kind of uh, happened and developed? In yeah, your life? sure. Um, of course, you know, at Cleveland Baptist Church, we had a lot of missionaries that would come through uh, preaching and back at that time showing their slides and such. So certainly I had an idea of missions and, and uh, uh, had, you know, developed, uh, you know, a love for missions. But when I was I guess, well, it was 1976, um, I guess I was about 11, 11 years old at Christmas that year. My parents, amongst other things, bought for me a book uh, about missions, missionary stories. And uh, I, matter of fact, I still have that book in my library. I pick it up from time to time and uh, look through it and read it. But as I was reading through that book, I, I read the missionary stories of people from all over the world, but there was a a group of stories in there about missionaries that had gone to Africa and how God had used them and what he had uh, used them to do. And as I was reading that book and reading those stories, God just began to tug on my heart about missions in Africa, you know, specifically. And I can remember that day, it was actually on that Christmas day as we were traveling to Pennsylvania to visit my grandparents. As I was reading that book, uh, I sat up in the back seat and told my parents, Someday when I grow up, I want to be a missionary to Africa. And uh, I can't say that throughout my growing up years that I always had that as a focal point. But every time 
every time I started thinking about something else, God would always bring something into my life to remind me, I, I have something different for you. I have, I, I have something that, that I want you to do. And, and, uh, boy, God just never let me get away from that. And here we are in Africa now 20 for 25 years. Wow. So, you know, just kind of play upon that a little bit. Um, would you, let's just say that parents are listening and they're, they, they're concerned about their children. And we, we know obviously that God doesn't call everyone to ministry, but um, you know, I, I think you would agree with me as you travel to America when you're home on furlough um, that we're seeing perhaps fewer people surrender today to, to ministry than we've ever right. seen in, in, at least in my lifetime. So sure. how, how can parents, what can parents do from your perspective to kind of help their children to see or at least have a heart for those type of things or be open to it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, certainly, the more exposure you get to something, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, when uh, missionaries come to your church, you know, have them in your home, take them out to eat, talk with them, get to know them. Now with, you know, now with the technology that we have, you can, you know, uh, be in contact with them, even do as we're doing mm-hmm. with a call like this. Um, let them read books like my parents did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, one thing today that we see that, you know, children growing up I and mean, they're just so caught up in so many things. Um, they don't really have time or they don't think they have time to be in, involved in something like missions. But I think taking a missions trip uh, with your children is a great thing. We've had a lot of families that have come over to visit us through the years. And mm-hmm. I don't know of any family, any, any children or, or teenagers that have left that haven't been, have not been greatly impacted. And yeah. even to this day, some of those contact us and, you know, and remember the time that, that they visited us. So to assess kind of where, you know, your, your own particular life, your, your parents obviously lived a, a clear testimony, had a heart for ministry. Uh, they put in front of you some things that just kind of sparked uh, an interest and uh, God used in your life. So th- those are some things that, that parents clearly can do for their children today. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. okay. All right. So you, that's kind of where it started. And then, you know, I, I know that you uh, came became a part of Heritage Christian School, which is our church school here at Cleveland Baptist. And um through, through your education there, uh, were other things kind of put in place uh, that God used in your life to kind of uh, clear this call for you that for sure this is yeah, what he had? For sure, yeah. I mean, I started attending Heritage Christian School the year it opened. I think, I believe that was 1974. Yes, sir. That's the year I started. Uh, I was my senior yes, year high school. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't the senior then. I think I was in fourth grade. All right. That year. And, uh, of course, transitioning from a public school and having chapel every day. And, of course, we had missionaries that preached in chapel. And, mm-hmm. and uh, there's an emphasis in, in, you know, in all the classes on, on, the spirit, on spiritual things. Um, but I do remember particularly one particular chapel service that we had at Heritage Christian School. Um, there was a lady missionary that came by uh, and gave her testimony. Mm-hmm. And uh, she happened to... Uh, uh, be a lady that had been in the Democratic Republic of Congo mm. uh, during the Simba Rebellion when the communist rebels came and overtook the country and killed a bunch of pastors and Christians and some missionaries. And her co-laborer was killed and martyred. Mm. Um, she wrote a book called We Two Alone, 
and uh, her, I believe her name was Ruth Ruth Hagee, mm-hmm. and uh, she gave her testimony in chapel, and I, uh, boy, that was just, uh, I, I just vividly still remember that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, of what she went through, and so, but it was things like that, mm-hmm. the testimonies of, of different missionaries that would come through that God would just always remind me, sure. hey, this, I have something different, different for you in your life. So as you get into your high school years, were there other things that perhaps, uh, you know, were were battles for you as far as, OK, I, I know that this is kind of what I've, I've thought about, but it was were there battles finally to solidify that? And, and how did that all work? Oh, sure, there was, um, you know, you know, there's always peer pressure, even mm-hmm. in, even in a good school. Sure. Um, and, and sometimes that peer pressure isn't necessarily to do wrong right <laughs> you know it's just you know to go into different uh, directions in life and mm-hmm. uh, you know that was there but mm-hmm. I, I think you know for me um the home that i that i grew up in um was very helpful because my parents in front of me lived a consistent christian life what people saw at church is what we saw at home mm-hmm. and uh, that certainly was helpful but again, with the uh, with the leadership, the pastoral leadership in the church, with Pastor Thompson, and later on when you came on staff, I mean, just that 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 yeah. emphasis mm-hmm. was always there. Yeah. Uh, that the responsibility of the church and the responsibility of Christians is that, is get the gospel to the world, mm-hmm. whether you've been called specifically to do that or whether you're part of the local body. I mean, that's our emphasis and. You know, just through those things growing up through my teenage years, um, I think was was very helpful for me. Okay, so graduating from high school, then uh, you immediately went off to Bible college uh, that next semester or next uh, next fall. Yes. Okay. 1983. Okay, 1983. Well, you're dating yourself now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you get to Bible college and uh, you meet a young lady and uh, it was Wendy. Right. So yes. Wendy's, uh, yeah. she grew up in Pennsylvania too, is that correct? Or is it New York? No, she grew up in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, that's right, up in New England. Okay, all right. Yeah. So did uh, as you are meeting Wendy and getting interested in her, did she had she already had a call in her life for missions as well? Uh, no, she did not. Um, I met her in my second year of school, I think 1984, I believe. And uh, we began working on bus route together. Mm-hmm. And uh, where we where we were in school, I mean, we we had a larger bus ministry, and so we spent a lot of time uh, working the bus ministry. And and uh, I saw her uh, working with children and and loving on people, and and God started knitting our hearts together. And uh, as we began to get a little more, little more serious, I again knowing that what God had for me, mm-hmm. um, I because God had used initially the reading of a book to mm-hmm. kind of direct me in my life. I went to the library and I got several books um, about Africa and, uh, mm-hmm. and Kenya specifically. And I gave them to her and I said, mm-hmm. you need to read these. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't think you can go and live and minister in a place like this, you need to let me know now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she did. And she read those things, read them and prayed and, uh, mm-hmm. God gave her peace that, you know, that was something that he would allow her and help her to do. And uh, and so we continued our relationship till we got married. All right. Very good. So did you get married while you were in school or was it after you finished school? Uh, I, I got we got married when I had finished school. Yeah. Wendy still had a, a year of school or two left, uh, but I had finished. Yes. Okay. 
So after you're finished, uh, I know we hired you at Cleveland Baptist. You came on staff and uh, worked primarily with the bus ministry, I believe, is uh, yes. kind of your job description. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, I and, did that uh, for three years. I, how, how long? Three years. Three years. Okay. I should know that. Uh, I lived through it with you. So <laughs> just, <laughs> was, but you know, my wife says, you don't remember much of anything. I said, well, you know, you yeah. deal with so much stuff through life. You, you sure. sometimes forget the details. So that's where we are. But, uh, and those were good three years. God used those in preparation for deputation and right. going to the, to the, the mission field. Can you talk a little bit about the value of that, of having some practical training before you just you oh, know, yeah, get out on absolutely. deputation? Absolutely. I, I, I needed it. Um, it was very helpful um, in my own life, um, you know, understanding um, relationships between staff members and, and pastors and, and, and dealing with more specifically uh, different issues, getting that, you know, hands on experience. Um, it was greatly helpful to me. And I I highly recommend it to anybody that's going to the mission field. Um, uh, I I look back on those years of of, of great value uh, in my life. Yeah, I think probably there's an element which in all of us says, okay, you know, time is short. We need to get get to doing what God's called us to do. But, you know, we can't undermine or de-emphasize the need of preparation. And, you know, just like college is essential, I do think that serving an internship under a pastor with some practical experience for a year or two is really, really good for, for those that are going to be heading out into a, the realm of missions. Yeah, I agree. You know, in, in, and again, even myself, I mean, I know me, I, I can't speak for everybody else, but um, I, I needed some time to mature in some areas. Sure. Um, I, I think that if I would have went or came here to Kenya when I was younger, I, I might not have, lasted i might not still be here today right. because of some issues some some pressure some things that that you deal with that mm-hmm. i i god had to prepare me in some ways for and i i sure. uh, at least for my life i, I believe okay. that's true well and, and i i certainly agree that uh you know all of us you know i remember as a young man thinking you know i i'm ready i'm ready to pastor i'm ready to go to the mission field and you know uh i was 37 when i became the pastor of the church and you know, as I look back on that, I had worked with the founding pastor for 17 years before I became the pastor. And after I became the pastor, I realized, man, I am so not ready for this. <laughs> but, you know, you but I'm thankful for the time that I had to, to be mentored and, and be prepared. But it's uh, it's pretty important. So once you uh, began your deputation, how long did it take you to raise your support? Oh, we raised our support in about, right about two years. OK. All right. Mm-hmm. So you leave America in, uh, I believe it was January of 1998. Is that correct? Yeah, we actually left uh, Cleveland on the last day of 97. 97. All right. So when you got to uh, Kenya, was there a missionary family that you had already uh, kind of aligned to work with to kind of get your feet on the ground here? Or did it just? Well, you know, um, when we got to Kenya, we didn't actually know where in Kenya we were going to work. Um, we had prayed about different areas and talked about, you know, uh, with some different people, but we had, we had initially, um, contracted to go to language school for six months okay. when we got to Kenya. And, uh, well, there was a, there was a family that we knew that had, uh, was, had affiliation with Cleveland Baptist, uh, mm-hmm. brother Jerry Novak and his family. And, um, he, uh, uh 
picked us up at the airport and we stayed with him for a couple of weeks uh, while we were getting somewhat acclimated before we went to language school outside of Nairobi, the capital city. And while we were in language school, every weekend we would travel out and visit different parts of the country, visit different ministries, just looking and, and praying about where God would have us uh, have us minister. And it was during, you know, during those travels that, that God uh, directed us to the place in Kenya that we are. Can you speak a, a little bit to, uh, you know, some of the initial things that missionaries first getting to a field have to contend with? I mean, some of the, the challenges, those type of things, so that if maybe somebody's listening and saying, you know, I'm thinking about being a missionary, maybe it could help them even in their mind uh, right now, even begin to think, OK, these are some things that maybe I'll have to contend with when I get to the field. Yeah, sure. I mean, of, of course, we came, we had three small children mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there is, at least in our situation, being in a third world country and an African country, um, being white Americans, we always stand out wherever we are. Mm-hmm. We're always, uh, we're always the spectacle. And uh, so everywhere you go, uh, people stare at you. Mm-hmm. Um they want to touch you. They want to touch your children's hair and, and they're not being mean and they're not right. being disrespectful, but you're, right. you're the novelty. Yeah. And, uh, that, that, uh, wears on you mm-hmm. all, all after a while, when everybody just won't stop staring at you. Mm-hmm. And especially, especially more for the children and more, mm-hmm. more for my wife, you know, right. and I think that kind of, that goes along a little bit with the, uh, uh, the difference in, in culture and the different culture shocks and, and things that you face. Sure. But, uh, you know, so of course there was that, and there's a situation with, you know, dealing, uh, dealing with uh, uh, your um, economic status, I guess I could say um, being from America, everybody views you as being rich. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of like we would view a Bill Gates. Yeah. No needs in the world. He can do whatever he wants. He has the money. Mm-hmm. And many times in Africa, uh, that's what that's how people view Americans, mm-hmm. because, you know, they're viewing them compared to their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so people have that mentality about you. That's not true. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a difficult thing to get over sure. um, when uh, when people are looking to you as maybe as their God mm-hmm. that can help them whenever they need help instead of looking to God. All right. Uh, so, you know, those, those are a couple things that really stand out, you know, yeah. in, in my initial thoughts here. Would you say also that, you know, trying to grasp a new language is also a challenge? Um, well, right. Now, in Kenya, um, we have we have two, two national languages or official languages, English and Swahili. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swahili being the trade language. Um, and, but for us, because Kenya is an English speaking country, and by that, I mean, most everybody speaks English okay. and understands it. Um, all the schools in Kenya are taught in English. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so for us, it's, it was very easy to communicate with people because we could communicate in English. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but again, with Swahili, that made Swahili more difficult to learn because you can rely on, on English so much. Right. Okay. Um, and so, but in, in the city areas, especially where we live, um, we don't use much Swahili mm-hmm. because that's what everybody speaks. Right. Okay. Right. The English. Got it. Okay. So once you start, uh, God led you to a place called Nakuru, which is about what, two hours from uh, Nairobi? 
It's yeah, it's a little over two hours. It's 150 kilometers from there. Okay. Okay. And uh, how did God work to bring you to to that point? Um, well, as as I said, while we were in language school, we were visiting different places in Kenya, and um, we came to Nakuru uh, to visit. And uh, at that time, there was a couple of missionary families living in Nakuru. We came and visited them and visited what what they were doing. And uh, Nakuru was the fourth was fourth is the fourth largest uh, city in the country of of Kenya. And uh, while we were in Nakuru, boy, I mean, the Lord just uh, uh, allowed us to see some really uh, needy areas and uh, places that uh, uh, needed a church. And while we were here, the Lord really laid it on our hearts that this was this was the place he wanted us to come to after we finished language school. All right. So when you finished, then immediately you moved to Nakuru to begin. Immediately we moved to Nakuru, yes, July of 1998. All right. So about seven months into it, you're already there starting. uh, So the the church uh, is uh, a wonderful church. God's uh, blessed, uh, you know, the the work there. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, you know, over the years, what has has, uh, transpired there as far as ministry? So when you did, did, I think you and um, another missionary kind of co-founded this church or was it already in place when you came? Uh, yeah. Well, what happened, as I said, there was a, several missionary families who were living here. Um, after we moved to the Kuru, within two months, both families had left. Mm. Um, the one family had uh, just started a church. Okay. And um, as we were here getting acclimated, we were looking exactly the area where we were going to start a church. Um, this missionary family approached us and uh, said that God had uh, called them to go back to the States. He was going to go pastor his sending church. And they had just started this church. As a matter of fact, I had just preached their first year anniversary for them. Mm. And he had asked if uh, uh, I would um, consider uh, taking over that, that ministry. And I immediately said, no, mm-hmm. uh, I, that's not what I wanted. I wanted, you know, I was going to start something new. Mm-hmm. And uh, because that, that's, that's what I had thought that, that, that God wanted me to do at the time. And he says, well, I mean, would you at least pray about it? And uh, <laughs> I mean, in my experience, when somebody says those words, sometimes the answer is not what I expected. So I said, yeah, of course I will. And uh, I mean, I was just shocked as anything, because as I started praying about it, the Lord made it very clear that uh, that's what he wanted me to do to take over that small group of people. So they were not yet organized mm-hmm. as a church okay. and uh, they, you know, they were just getting started. And uh, so, yeah, so we, we, we did that. Then. Okay. So then things, God started blessing, the church started growing and um, several ministries got started uh, out of that church. So can you talk a little bit about what God's doing there in uh, through the church now? Yeah, well, the church is, uh, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. I believe you came and preached our 20th anniversary. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry to believe that was five years ago. Yeah. But yeah, we just finished our, had our 25th anniversary. Uh, yeah, God has really um, allowed the church to do, and, and, and us with the church to do some things that uh, I guess we just never imagined that we'd be involved with. Um, uh, we have a, a lot of different ministries, you know, some of the, uh, ones that come to mind quickly have Christian school, um, which is uh, right now we have about 300 students. And um, that's from uh, nursery school. We're, we're, we're through primary school, which is 
eighth grade, we just were approved by the government uh, to add uh, what they call junior secondary school, which would be ninth, uh, which which would which would be three secondary school classes, high school classes, okay. which should begin uh, next January. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then along with that, we have Bible College, um, Rift Valley Baptist College, uh, which is um, right now we have about seventy students in it. Uh, most of them are English students. Uh, we have about ten Swahili students, and we also host and have a, a deaf Bible College that. Mm-hmm also meets and normally around 10 or 12 deaf students that that Mm -hmm. come uh, to the deaf Bible college. Mm -hmm. It's allowed us to uh, get involved in in training men from, you know, all areas, different areas of Kenya has allowed us to, uh, to work and uh, uh, do some uh, good things in in some uh, very diverse uh, areas of of the country. Um, And along with that, um, God's allowed the church to become heavily involved in missions um, we have a missions program, uh, outreach program that we call Grace to the Regions Beyond. Uh, Kenya, um, in as far as East Africa goes, they would probably be the most developed country, the most uh, economically well-off. Of course, no, that's not uh, uh, very good compared to American standards, but it, uh, compared to most African standards, uh, most Kenyans do much better. And surrounding Kenya is a lot of really needy countries that have had a lot of turmoil and trouble throughout the years um, in, in, in modern history. And God has allowed the church to become involved in, in uh, missions, ministries, sending people and uh, having people uh, serve in several countries that, that uh, surround Kenya, mm-hmm. um, namely uh, the country of Burundi, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan uh, are the main countries that uh, we're working in right now through our missions program. Okay. Well, when I was there uh, for that 20th anniversary a few years ago, I um, had the opportunity to travel with you to, to Burundi and to uh, preach in that church that started. And then also some of the folks from the Congo, because we couldn't get the visa to go across the borders, you recall, uh, to mm-hmm. go to that work. But they were able to come across and be a part of the service. And it was wonderful to, to meet those those folks. Um, you've, um, Robert, you've had an unusual, um, life in, in some respects, because, um, uh, I think, uh, I don't, can't exactly remember the, the, the timing of it, but there was a time in which there was a, quite an uprising and some real factions, uh, fighting within Kenya and, uh, you and, and your family did not leave. You stayed during some very dangerous times. Um, can, can you speak to that a little bit about, you know, what you sure. did and, and some of the things that happened during that time? Yeah, um, this would have been um, in 2007, mm-hmm. uh, Jan- or December of 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenya had a presidential election. Elections in Africa, um, you know, a lot of times uh, don't go well. Um, Kenya had relatively throughout its history been stability. Uh, but during election times, there was always uh, some isolated violence and, and such. But this particular election in December of 2007 um, was a very hotly contested uh, election. Elections in, in Africa many times are divided amongst tribal lines. Uh, many times you'll have the presidential candidates. I mean, pretty much their ideology is the same. The difference is what tribe they're from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they get backings from different tribes and that animosity can can grow amongst people because 
it's viewed whoever's president, if it's from your tribe or a tribe that's favorable to you, is going to be favorable to you mm-hmm. getting jobs economically and that type of thing. So this election was uh, very tight. The incumbent president was running against a challenger and uh, the challenger uh, put up a, 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 a good challenge. And this was the first election that the results were being uh, broadcasted pretty much as the votes were being counted. And the challenger had built up a very substantial lead of about a million votes. Mm. And uh, there was probably maybe a a million and 300,000 to a million 500,000 votes yet to be counted. It pretty much looked like an insurmountable lead. and, And everybody went to bed believing that we'd have a new president in the morning. Well, overnight, uh, they quit counting the votes or they quit releasing the vote counts uh, for a period of like 24 hours. And uh, once they re- released the vote count, miraculously, the incumbent president won by about 50,000 votes. Mm. And uh, that was perceived by everybody as the election being rigged. It probably was. I mean, I, I don't think there's any way to know for sure, mm. but it seems that it was. And so there's protests that began um, in the challenger strongholds and People were 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 protesting and, and rather violently. They were uh, burning things in the street and uh, burning down some buildings, their own buildings. Sounds like America. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, this was being broadcast on the news. I mean, we were we were watching it, and uh, the police were called in to to, to, to quell the riots, and they started uh, shooting people in the streets with with live bullets, and we would mm. see people get shot and killed by the police. But of course, um, as this went on, um, it, it became, became became kind of a tit for tat thing. Uh, you know, it, it uh, they would uh, you know attack maybe some people of another tribe in their area, and so in another area, uh, they would retaliate. And, and and this was going on, and it, it kept getting worse and worse. Where we were in Nakuru, things were rel- relatively peaceful. As a matter of fact, we had a lot of refugees that started pouring into Nakuru. Um, from some of these areas that this violence was taking place um, for safety because Makuru was was calm. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a church, we had begun holding prayer meetings daily in the morning. As a matter of fact, even before the election came, because of the division that was going on in the country, our church is a mixed tribal church. Um, it's not predominantly one tribe. We have many different tribes in the church. And so we're just paying, praying for unity in the country and unity in the church. And unbeknownst to us, uh, while this was going on, these refugees that were coming into Nakuru uh, secretly and behind the scenes began stirring up strife amongst people, mm. amongst their tribal people. Hey, you know, why are you why, why are you living peaceful, peaceably with these people? Don't you see what they're doing to us and other parts of the country and so on and so forth? And one morning we were leaving prayer meeting. Um, actually, we were on the way to prayer meeting and we passed by a house that had burned down. In the, in the middle of the night. And, and we thought that was kind of strange and a little concerning, but we got to the church building and we had prayer and, and the people left and I had gotten home and I'd been home maybe 10 minutes and I received a phone call from one of our men who was in the marketplace, not, not actually very far from where we lived. And he said, pastor, he said, I'm in the market. And he said, I just saw some vehicles pull up and uh, they're passing weapons out to people. And uh, when he told me that, I realized that something 
bad was about to happen. So we got on the cell phones and we began calling our church people. We began to tell them, um, you know, stop what you're doing wherever you are. Something's about happen, about to happen. Come to the church building um, and let us meet there. But unfortunately, the the day for people had already begun. People had left for work. Children had gone to school. Women had gone to the marketplaces. And I, I guess it was an hour later, an eruption of violence took place that uh, was unimaginable. And uh, people began killing people just based upon their tribal identity. And uh, uh, our church and where we live was right in the midst of the epicenter of where this violence was going on. So our church people um, that could uh, went to the church building and uh, sought safety at the church building. We were feeding them and trying to take care of them. I would go out to different parts of the city and and uh, pick people up who needed help and take them to the church building for safety. Uh, church members would call on the phone and uh, screaming and begging for help because uh, their neighbors were being killed and they're coming to their house next. Could I come please help? And we'd do everything we could. Uh, I, I being an American and not being one of the tribes was not a target. Um, I would always make sure that wherever I was going, I would have somebody with me that was a, of the right tribe for that area. Mm. But of course, if they viewed that you were taking sides in the situation, that you know that could be a, a bad thing. Our children would stand in our yard and could walk, look out over our yard, our fence across the street, and and uh, watch homes go up in flames. And some of those homes, their friends lived in, and our church people lived in, and they were stopping cars and buses coming down the main highway uh, those early hours, not knowing what was happening. And they'd stop the vehicles and pull people out of the vehicles, check their tribe. And if they were the wrong tribe, kill them right there in the street. So this is going on all around us. And uh, I mean, we didn't know what to do. Um, literally, people began to call me. Pastors began to contact me, supporting pastors and saying, Brother Mickey, you need to get your family out of there now because this is being broadcast all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, you need to get your family out of there. You need to keep them safe. Um, we were getting advice like this from all over. Um, and uh, of course, I was sharing with you and the church what, what was going on. And, you know, you, you would, would give me good advice on, 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 on seek the Lord and, and, and follow what the Lord wants. Whatever you believe the Lord wants, we, we, we will, you know, back what you do. And I was just in turmoil because. In my heart, I'm thinking about my family and knowing my responsibilities, but also in my heart, um, I thought God wanted me here with my people. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what to do. And uh, my wife, and you know my wife, I mean, she's quiet, mm-hmm. stays to herself. Um, and uh, she saw that struggle and she came in to my office and she said we need to talk she says to me I know what you're going through she said I only have one request if you stay we all stay don't send us away we've always been in this together let's not stop now Mm. and when she said that to me it was just like a like a burden lifted off of me because um, 
again, God had given my wife the same peace that he had given me. And uh, we made the decision to stay. And uh, again, in, in honesty, our, our family, I mean, they were not targets because we were Americans, but it still is a very dangerous situation for them, especially because it was getting known that I was going out and helping people. And we were actually hiding people in our home that uh, uh, people were trying to kill or trying to hurt. And if that became known, it would be a very serious situation for our family. So uh, we made that decision to stay. And we stayed through it. It was probably about a two-week period that was very intense every day. Um, and uh, But in staying through that, um, I would say that it was the one thing that, that uh, launched our ministry and launched what we were doing here to greater heights uh, than, we had, when, than we had ever imagined. I, I think we gained a, a trust from the people sure. that we would have never gained because we lived through what they lived through. And uh, of course, now people are out of their homes. They've lost everything. Um, there was no work. Uh, literally, we went from a church of 400 people one week to less than 30 the next week mm. because everybody was in hiding. Uh, they were they, they had fled. Um, and we had we had uh, a humanitarian disaster on our hands that I mean was was uh, something uncomprehensible to us. Um, people need to eat, and people had nothing. And uh, I remember talking to you about it and sending you an email, and, and uh, you said, "Listen, the church will get behind you, and, and we'll help." And uh, church sent us an offering, but but through those emails and through uh, uh, emails that you forwarded to people and others forwarded to people, uh, people that we knew began to give money from all over the world mm -hmm. to help feed people. Um, we we received money from churches that we had never heard of. Uh, churches we didn't know existed. We received money from China, from Romania, from the Philippines, from Mexico, from Canada, from all over the world, from people that didn't know us from anything except they heard what was happening and they heard that some of God's people needed help. And they heard from uh, churches that, that, that this was uh, a, a, a church that's worthy of help. And God just did an amazing miracle. And, um, uh, we fed our people uh, every day. Um, we went to all the displacement camps and, and took them food, and they were able to eat. Uh, it, it got to the place to where the large displacement camp here in town that had thousands and thousands of people, the Red Cross was there, and uh, the Red Cross came to us and asked us to please stop going to the, dis to the camp because we were making them look bad. Hmm. We were feeding our people, and they couldn't feed people. Hmm. And uh, so throughout all of that, uh, we fed people, some people up, up for up to a year before they were able to get back on their feet. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so God did a miraculous thing. Yeah. Um, none of our people, none of our people were killed. Hmm. Um, there were people in some of our sister ch Baptist churches in town that were um, and, and, and other places, but God protected all of our people. Um, one situation that comes to mind um, while we were protecting people in the church building. Our, our, our assistant pastor at the time, the co-pastor of the church now, Pastor Justice Olo, um, because he was the one at the building taking care of them, um, they decided that they were going to kill him as an example. 
because he was protecting their own tribe. And uh, they made a plan. Um, people in the community uh, who were against what was happening but couldn't stop it uh, would contact us and let us know what they were planning. I went to Pastor Lowe and I begged him to, to leave the building and let somebody else stand in this place that was of the right tribe. Um, but but he, he refused. And, uh, and, but the threats kept getting worse. And I, I remember getting a phone call and saying, listen, Pastor Mickey, I know what's happening. And if you don't get that guy out of there, he said, they're on their way to the building now and they're going to kill him. You'll, they, they will kill him. And so I went and I begged him. And uh, he said to me this, and I'll never forget it. He said, Pastor Mickey, he said, you see those people in that building? He said, those are my sheep and I'm their shepherd. He said, how can the shepherd go hide when the sheep are as in much danger as the shepherd? He said, I can't do that. He said, I'll leave my life in God's hands. And so he stayed. And I, I, I literally believe that I would not see him again, this side of eternity. Unbeknownst to us, um, through some contacts that we had, um, we were able to get in contact with the Kenyan military. We have a military base that's just down the road from the church building. And we had uh, a, a, a contact through the school that we have, the Christian school of a man who's in the military. We contacted him and he was very honest. He said, listen, he said, the government has forbidden us to leave the bases. He said, they don't want us to be involved in what's going on out there. We're aware of what's happening, but he said, I don't think there's anything that we can do. He says, I'll try. He says, but I can't promise anything. Well, unbeknownst to us, that man really tried. And while that mob of people had come to the church building to attack the building and and, and kill Pastor Olo and uh, do whatever they were going to do to the people at the building, the military, the Kenyan military showed up at the last moment. And uh, they evacuated the people from the church building. They literally had to build a corridor of soldiers between the between their trucks and the door of the church building for our people to walk through mm. because the mob was trying to try and reach at them. And uh, they, the military took everybody out to the different displacement camps and the mob dispersed and left the church building alone then because mm. the people were gone. So God did all kinds of things like that uh, yeah. during that election violence. And mm. really, uh, it matured us in some ways and the church in some ways that I don't think would have ever happened otherwise. Yeah. Well, you have lots of stories like that. And I, I want to encourage you and <laughs> I know it's not easy, but maybe at some point being able to sit down and write a book about some of the experiences of, of uh, that you've had in Kenya, they could be an encouragement to others because there's just so many stories that God has done th in and through your life. So we, we uh, our times get kind of getting away from us. So we kind of have to wrap some things up, but uh, one of the things you've got going on right now is a, a Bible project. You want to just speak a little bit about that? What's going on there? Yes. So folks can pray for you. Right. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have English as a national language and Swahili as a national language. And although most Kenyans speak English, there are those out in some village areas and that that are more comfortable in the Swahili. When we first came to Kenya, we realized that the, the Swahili version of the Bible was there had there were some problems in it problems in the translation and problems because it was uh, uh translated from the wrong text and and the issues that come with that mm -hmm. and uh it 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 was very noticeable to us because our kenyan people would always point it out to us because we always use the english bible mm -hmm. the king james bible and yet when they when when they would sometimes read the swahili bible they'd read 
some things that were different then. Mm-hmm. So back in those early days, um, uh, the church really began to develop a burden to see a, see God bring about a new Swahili translation. So we began praying ourselves along with the church that God would uh, lead somebody to do that. And uh, as we began working in some of these other African countries um, where English is not spoken at all, um, much of what we do in those countries are in Swahili. And uh, when that started happening um, in those, going into those countries, again, the problem amongst our men and our people just jumped out at them. And uh, they continued to pray. The church continued to pray earnestly. Uh, for time's sake, a lot of things happened through the years um, uh, to, to encourage us to keep praying. We, at one point, uh, we thought there was a man that was going to be able to do it, and he actually started doing it but then he but then he died shortly thereafter we kept praying um our men came back from a trip from congo and burundi um in a bible college session we were having over there and they're excited about what about what god did but during the context of that our men again began sharing the concern of the problems in the swahili bible and uh that they had when they're teaching in in congo and swahili and and i gave them the answer i always give them well, let's just pray. We just got to keep praying. We got to pray harder that God has sent somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Olo, who I've already mentioned, the co-pastor of the church, as uh, he was part of that conversation. He was part of that trip. And he looked at me and he said, uh, Pastor Mickey, he said, you know, we've been praying about this for a long time. He said, did you ever think that maybe God wants us to do it? <laughs> and when he said that, I mean, again, it was just like being hit in the head. Mm-hmm. I just knew, I knew the moment he said that mm-hmm. he was right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish I had time to, to share. I mean, how God has brought everything together uh, for this translation project. We're now in it. We just finished the book of John. The book of John is complete and we've distributed it to church members and other pastors and reading it for readability and, and helping us uh, look at some grammar and spelling and different things like that. We're working on on the Book of Romans, and uh, once that's finished, we'll do a a, uh, a a dedication for John and Romans as we continue the New Testament and then on to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great undertaking and not one that uh, for the faint of heart. So our folks need to be praying that God will continue to yes, give all the strength to uh, those folks that are involved in that project. So. Um, you know, you and your wife, as you mentioned, have, uh, are just about 25 years. Your kids grew up in Kenya. All of them are right now currently living in the United States and uh, all active in, in church. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. Your youngest daughter just graduated from Bible college. And uh, as I, you and I have discussed, uh, she and her husband are looking at coming as missionaries to, uh, to is it Ghana or uh, or no, I'm sorry, the Congo, Congo. Democratic Congo. Republic right. yeah, of Congo? Yeah, so that's yes. something for our folks to pray about as well. That God will give clear direction to them. So, uh, anything else that you want to share with our folks before we uh, kind of sign off here today? You know, um, you know. Again, um, I know that we're living in a we're living in a strange world. Mm-hmm. Um, things are a lot different than they were just a couple years ago. Yes, sir. Things seem to be changing so quickly. But, you know, in the midst of the world that we're living in, man, God is still working. God is still Amen. doing something. Amen. Um, I know that you're seeing it in the ministry that you're involved in. And uh, let's not be discouraged. Um, mm-hmm. Let's not let these things discourage. We know sure. this world's not our home. Yeah. God said, occupy till I come. And I pray for your missionaries. 
Um, be involved in missions. God doesn't call everybody. We know that, but God calls everybody to be involved in missions. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we can all do that. And let's make an impact in the world these last days that we're living in. Well, as a missionary, one other question I have for you. What are some things that maybe pastors can do to encourage a, a missionary that uh, either they're, you know, God connects their hearts or sent out of their church? What, what are some things that perhaps uh, maybe would just be a suggestion that you could give up from your perspective that would be a help? Um, you know, of course, you know, communication is 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 a good thing. And I think that that has gotten better over the years because of the ease of it now. Sure. Um, but I, but I think um, um, taking a trip to the field, yes. see the missionary family, mm-hmm. to see firsthand. I, again, I, I, yeah, I know that, um, you know, uh, there's an expense involved. There's a lot involved. But I, I think uh, I, I think that'll do more than anything to open the heart of a pastor right. to the needs of the mission field. Yeah. You know, I, I recall as you've come to visit us several times and, you know, you've made several statements and said, OK, I understand this now. Why? Mm-hmm. You know, missionaries say this or missionaries need this or yeah. or talk about this. Now, I, I understand it now and I, I, I'll never question it again. Right. Because you, yeah. you saw it. But, you know, again, um, sometimes you have to see it. And, you know, again, I think of that verse in the Bible, mine, I have affected my heart. And I think, you know, of course, there's a lot of truth to that. So I, I think that that definitely would be, you know, a good thing for sure. for, for pastors to do. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you that, uh, you know, the experiences that I've had as I've traveled to the various mission fields from the various missionaries that have sent out of Cleveland Baptist, I never walked away from those trips thinking, boy, that was a waste of money. It was a great investment. And my life was greatly impacted from the experiences that I had while I visited. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget, you know, visiting Rwanda with you and then going on to Burundi and the, the trip that we made there and the impact of that. And uh, so, you know, those are just things that I think are vitally important. I'm sure that a lot of churches don't necessarily always have the resources to do it. But I would suggest that a pastor, if at all possible, at least, you know, maybe every few years be able to, you know, make a trip someplace to to visit a mission field, a missionary, if if not every few years, every five years, maybe every 10 years, but to get someplace to be be impacted by because it does change you for sure. Plus, I do believe it's a great encouragement to the missionary families, specifically those that are sent out of the church. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And it's been a great joy to have Brother Robert Mickey. Uh, he's joining me from Nakuru, Kenya. And I'm sitting in my office, my home office here in Cleveland, Ohio. It's amazing that we have technology that can yeah. connect our lives together. It's uh, evening, going on evening there. It's uh, still morning here in, in Cleveland. And uh, so we want to thank uh, Brother Robert. Thank you for, for being with us today. Our prayers are, are uh, with you. And certainly we greatly respect you and the work that God's enabled you and your wife to do over the years. And we'll certainly be praying for uh, God to continue that work as long as he gives you health and strength. So I want to thank our listeners for joining us for Labors in the Harvest podcast. And we hope that you'll join us again next month when we'll have another visit with another one of those who is, uh, God has called and is working on doing what God has given them to do, which is to labor in his vineyard to do his work. Thanks once again, and thank you so much for joining us for this particular episode of Labors in the Harvest podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, 
kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest.